You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant, Brian Silva. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another awesome Ones Ready podcast. This is Brian Silva. Here in the team room with me is Aaron and Peach, the great and mighty Peach. We got a really <laughs> special one for you guys today. Not the giant Peach, but the mighty Peach. So we got... So far, so, far, so good. So far, this yeah. is going to be an awesome episode. Man, hey, no, I just yeah. want to reintroduce, because we're going to grill Peach for this episode on everything combat control and try and get as much um, as we can get, as much juice as we can squeeze out of them. So... On this episode, we're going to be talking about everything combat control related. Peach is wearing his fancy red shirt for this. He wanted to get into the in the zone. So, um, first of all, we just want to thank you guys again. You know, as always, um, you guys are the only reason that we do this podcast, and you know, we love doing this. We love um, talking to you guys, getting emails, and then any insight from you guys to help you guys uh, do better in your careers, um, better than we ever were and make sure that you guys are as successful as possible whenever you get to that selection phase and for the rest of your life. So if you guys ever need anything, always feel free to reach out. And then also, you know, go check out our onesready.com forward slash partners. They are veteran owned um, and operated type of people that offer really awesome products that we ourselves use. And we want to just share the the wealth with you guys and make sure that you guys know about them. Um, Really awesome guys. So go and check them out. That's onesready.com forward slash partners. So uh, getting back into the whole theme here. So we're talking about combat control. I know the last one we did was pararescue, but we wanted to get a little bit more of a deep dive into exactly what you guys should expect from this specific career field to help you guys just pick which one you're you're most going after. We understand there's a swoey thing and there's a lot of other factors that go into play, but we want you to have your why whenever you're training and whenever you're going into the gym or working out with your buddies, get excited about the career field that you're about to enter. So we're going to do another one. This is the combat control. We got the master, the uh, well, the legend, we'll say it. <laughs> we'll say it. We'll say it. The we'll living say legend. It. We'll say it. The living legend. Uh, Peach right here. Pound Even pound, though pound, pound, he, he is a fan pound of self-deprecation, so be aware of that. But he has done a lot of awesome stuff, and we want to make sure that we get all the info from him about combat control. So um, just a little bit about yourself. I know we're going to kind of go into all this stuff. Um, can you just kind of reiterate where your path was, when you, where you came in, and you know, how you kind of found combat control? Absolutely. So I originally came into the Air Force when I was 17 and then went to NDOC from there. At the time, it was just PJs and controllers going to NDOC. Uh, I originally came in as a PJ because I didn't know about combat control. While we were there, I'm wondering, hey, who are all these other students and who are these instructors that are combat controllers? Like, I, I just don't understand it. And then we had a capabilities brief by one of the controllers. He brought out airfield lights he brought out radios he brought out lasers and all that kind of stuff and actually told us about what he did as a job and what combat control was all about and so they they said hey if anybody wants to change their job right now is your one and only chance to do so 
And so about five or six of us raised our hands and said, yeah, we want to switch from PJ to Comic Control because we just, we didn't know about it. And so they let us switch. And then it was, it was only a paperwork switch and then we're, we're on our way. Um, and so Indoc happened. I was on three teams at Indoc due to the first two were injury and then, yeah, injury and, and a thinning failure by two seconds, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> I'm not bitter about it. I'm not bitter about it 20 years later. Listen to your voice. <laughs> it was just that one instructor. You couldn't give me that one second. Two seconds. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah. You're kind of slow on the click, but whatever, dog. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was not that upset. I mean, I was upset at myself that I didn't make it. Um, you know, because a standard is a standard. So, hey, that's fine. But I, I guess it kind of set me on a different trajectory as because what they did is they sent me to air traffic control school to then get better, get more training. And the plan was to go back to NDOC. Um, but what happened was the whole pipeline changed during that time. And I think there was only one other controller that followed on after me. I was the only controller in my class. I, I graduated. You guys probably know Chan or, or heard of Chan. It was he graduated NDOC and I was his number two. Uh, that was supposed to graduate with him. That's yeah. like the, the weirdest buddy comedy ever for like Chan and you to be rolling around just doing like buddy <laughs> stuff. Like yeah. some, somebody give me a, a plot line where you're both policemen and this thing's going to take off. <laughs> All right. So if you guys listening didn't know, um, about 20 years ago or so, the controllers and PJs went to indoctrination course together and they stopped, they branched off um, early 2000s and the combat controllers, they made their own selection school called CCSC, Combat Control Selection School. And then the PJs continued going to indoc after that. Um, and then now we have this new assessment and selection where we have the SR guys, we have the CCT and PJ all going to the same course and getting selected. Um, so do you think that there's anything um, what specifically kind of things are they doing right with this selection course? And how do you feel, um, you know, in doc versus ANS, you know, is going to play out with the guys or what have you seen between yourself and the generation that followed you with CCSE? I think it goes back to training smarter and not harder. I mean, what we used to do at Indoc and when I went through was it didn't matter. There was no real prep course there, there. There was a prep team and those were for the guys that, if you, once you, you know, cause we graduate people from basic training every single week. And so that once you graduate basic training, you may not necessarily line up exactly with an NDOC start date. So you'd enter on prep team and they train you and stuff like that. Um, now that is, that is at least for the, the new recruits, that is guaranteed that they get eight weeks of prep upon showing up. So I think that's huge. We used to throw people in the pool and just expect them to know how to do underwaters, expect them how to clear a mask, do mask and snowboard recovery. We would get trained on ditching on and the knots, but even then it was still like outside of the water. Here's a square knot. Here's a girth hitch with an extra turn. The very you know, first here's... time I saw any of these exercises was at the event. I had not, exactly. I did not see, I yeah. did not see a single YouTube, YouTube wasn't even a thing. Okay. To get to the maps office, I had to print out map quest directions. Y'all don't know what it's like to have to print out map quest directions. Like <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, I can't even explain to you 
the, the sheer anxiety that that caused when your dad was yelling at you to try to flip through a 47 page packet to get to that <laughs> next right hand turn. It was impossible. Anyway, point being. Yeah. And the only knot that we knew at that time before I joined anyway was loop, swoop, and pool. That's it. I knew how to tie my <laughs> shoes. And I didn't, again, I'm the most boring PJ. Like, I don't do this. I'd never climbed the very first time I shot a pistol, a handgun was in the military, was in the Air Force. And it's not, I mean, I think like maybe I shot like one or two before that. Like I hunted, like I shot shotguns and stuff, but I, I didn't shoot. I didn't jump. I didn't, I wasn't a skier, you know? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I skied and snowboard, but I, I didn't really shoot. So, but, um, but I, I, going back to the question though, I, I really do think that we're training smarter than we were. Um, I mean, how many people have we lost that would have been amazing operators and done some incredible things, but they failed pull-ups by one or push-ups by a couple. I mean, I I get it. There, there, yeah, exactly. So many guys and there is, Hey, a standard is a standard, but you know, you got to meet that standard. But at the same time, like, man, does two push-ups make you a better controller? I'm not so sure. Does one pull-up exactly. make you? Is that the is that the the line between you being a great controller and and not? Yeah, and, and what I kind of equate it to is okay. So I've got two scenarios. I've got I can have a dude that can make it up the mountain first and and with the heaviest ruck and carry all the equipment, but once he gets up there, he's kind of incompetent. You know, he's just he's really fit. Or I can have a guy that kind of middle of the road, he may not, he's not going to get up there first, but he won't get up there last, but he's extremely competent when he's up on the hill. Like I'd rather have that guy. Boom. That's just me. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. All right. So let's get into this pipeline. Um, so I know all the pipelines are kind of aligning now. And if you guys are just tuning in and you're trying to figure out whether you want to do combat control. So we're talking about going through, you know, if you're not enlisted yet, going into basic training. And then after you're going to basic training, you go into the prep course after the prep course, which is eight weeks. Then you go into ANS, which is four weeks. It, it, it shifts around. So it's not exactly going to be four weeks every <laughs> single time they're changing around everything. I mean, this whole last year, if you guys are just kind of learning about the the pipeline and SW is kind of flexing back and forth, trying to figure out what exactly is right, what the formula is to select the best person. And I think right now they're thinking that it's continuously changing. That is the best is to get people on their, on their toes and, you know, kind of catch them by surprise a little bit just to see what that person is actually going to do in a scenario where they're under stress. Anyway, it's, all, um, it's also, it's also, it's, it's a living, breathing thing, right? If we, if the instructors execute some, some kind of program or something and it works great, Hey, we want to keep that. But if they execute something and it didn't work out very well, like we don't want to, we don't want that hanging around and being a part of the very next course. So they take it out and they try something else. Maybe it makes it two weeks. Maybe it makes it four weeks. Sorry. My, my favorite part of this too is the same people that are like, oh, so many things are changing and everything's different. They'd be the same people that would be complaining if we weren't changing things and trying to make it better. If we wanted things to just remain the same, we would have never went away from the indoc model. The indoc model was great, but the indoc model had holes in its game and we needed, just like you said, you know, Peaches, like you're totally right. Like is one pull up the difference between, I would want the, I would want the, ability to decide off someone's character, 
their competence, their ability to handle, you know, pressure situations. I'd want some wiggle room. I'd want, that's worth one pull up to me. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm with you guys. I would want that guy that that's going to get up that hill no matter what, and then be useful at the top of the hill. So yeah, I, I totally get it. And it's the, everybody's going to complain about change. Like change is chaotic and it makes you feel like you don't know what's going on. And I, I got it, but you know, this is a change for a purpose. Yeah. But I think it's important to, like you brought up, Peach, just discuss um, with these people that are listening to the podcast right now, because, you know, straight up, we don't know that it's going to exactly be this every single time. So, you know, get up for it. There are a couple of things that we do know, um, but there are some, a lot of things where you're just going to have to walk into, you know, the room in the scenario and figure it out because that's how you're going to be tested the best. Um, so going back to the pipeline thing, um, we do the basic training prep course, ANS, go into pre-dive and then hopefully dive school if the pipeline lines up. And then what, what, what kind of goes after that as far as the pipeline each? So my, mine was just slightly different. So I went to air traffic control school and then they changed the pipeline around. And then I ended up going to airborne and survival school and then combat control school. Then I went back to a pre-dive, a six weeks pre-dive then to Key West and then the free fall school. Yeah. So that, that was all part of that new, uh, advanced special, advanced special training, advanced yeah. skills training, advanced skills go. training. Yeah. ASC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, that's an important thing to note too, so that we've aligned the pipelines and this applies to special reconnaissance as well. Like everybody is going to hit all of these things so that you go to, you go through the pipeline in a logical manner together. So you'll go to that apprentice course, you'll get all of your other skills knocked out. Everybody will get, you know, free fall, seer for, um, what am I missing? Dive, um, the survive, like seer survival. That's it. So airborne seer dive free fall. There you go. And then you'll go to your apprentice course and then you'll get out of the apprentice course and you'll, you'll meet back up and we'll kind of talk about, you know, where you go after that. But after you get out of JBSA, right? So as a combat control trainee, you get out of assessment selection. We know that we're going to have a pipeline that's roughly the same as our counterparts in special warfare, right? We're going to ride that pipeline essentially kind of like together. You get out of JBSA and you report to Pope. What's it like checking in? Is that that very first couple of days as a new candidate? Cause I know you feel good cause you're off of JBSA. Like you're like, Oh man, I've made it. But then you get to somebody uh, or you get to somewhere else and you're like, man, maybe, maybe I didn't make it. What was it like for you as a student at that first assignment? <laughs> so, uh, the, the cadre were, I was expecting it's going to be full bore, um, <laughs> like yelling the whole, the whole deal. Right. And they were very calm, very deliberate, very nice, and 100% lured me into a false sense of security going like, eh. Oh, I, you I mean, hate to see it. Oh, first, man. First day on the job, Peaches. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. hate to see it. You were just strutting yeah. down the hallway You're wearing, just wearing your beret. In the white. You were just like, just, yeah. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
Row would be so hard for that. <laughs> How are you so little and no abs? How are you so small with no abs? That's what I would ask too. Oh man, it was bad. <laughs> but yeah, they they one hundred percent lured me into a false insecurity, and then I got my ass handed to me. I mean that, just, and I can't even remember exactly what it was, but it was. I think it ended up in the pea gravel pit, getting buried, burying myself, or something like that. Um, and that happened several times, and that wasn't just me. That was that was everybody. The cross trainees knew better, and the officers knew better. They didn't make that mistake. No, but a, a lot of us did. Well, so you're sitting there, and you're in. You know, sometimes you'll be in a little bit of a, a hold. Like we try to get rid of as much like training time hold. Like you know, you're awaiting training status. Essentially, we try to get away from that as much as possible. So hopefully, your time was was short. But then you report to CCS. So you get all the way through, this is kind of, you know, if you look at the new model now, this is going to be at the end of these students' pipelines, right? Like they're going to get to CCS. What are those big events in CCS that always made people like worry? What were those things that you knew was going to be tough and you were going to really be tested? So, I mean, without trying to give too much of it away, there, there are a couple of events that you'll hear about in the pipeline. Um, and it always sounds worse than it really is. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like, how do, how do you finish a two-year pipeline? You break it up into chunks. You worry about what's the immediate threat, take care of that, and then on to the next and then on to the next. But the thing is, is that you will hear about events and I'm just, events in the pipeline that you're going to have to do. And, and if, like, underwater's in your thing and you know you're going to have to do a 50 and you're only going to get one wall push off, that, I mean, that's just a little seed planted in your brain. And then that fear can just grow and grow and grow. It's the so, worst because then you start dealing, like, you, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You start worrying about it and then you hear about other people and, you know, heaven forbid, I th this event for us at the Apprentice Course was always uh, the rope ladder, the rope ladder with your, with your full ruck. Like, this is always a thing for whatever reason. So at the Apprentice Course for Pararescue, you have to climb a rope ladder 35 feet wearing 35 pounds of ruck along with your LBE, your weapon and your helmet into a helicopter to simulate, you know, climbing a rope ladder. I don't know why, because the instructors will demonstrate this all day, like instructors with like massive shoulder reconstructions, like <laughs> terrible injury patterns behind <laughs> them. They will throw on heavy gear and they will climb this rope ladder. But for some reason at the apprentice course, for all the time I was there, it was always just like there was this, this tension that you would feel it would start building to like the PE day. And all the instructors would be like, guys, are we doing this again? How many times this week have we climbed this ladder successfully? But you would always have those people that just, it got into their head and then you would just see them and they'd start doing wacky stuff like halfway up the ladder. And then you were just like, this guy is 100% going to peel off this rope ladder and oh. fall to the crown. Like that's absolutely, did you ever have any of those? Was there an event for you that you, you let get into your head? No, not, not getting to my head. I did. It's funny. There's talking about the, uh, the rope ladder. Cause for, for me, what I what I had problems with because as I'm rappelling, I'm top heavy, especially wearing a ruck, and they would not let me because they were making because they wanted to make fun of me. They were not letting me put my hand up on the uh, the lead, <laughs> right, to keep myself up. Oh, so, this is not. So, so what happens? <laughs> immediately towards upside the earth. Down. <laughs> upside down. Just Aussie rappel the whole way down. You're good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, not hard, 
but they were just doing it to make fun of me. And, and here's, here's how you handle that. Like you don't get upset about it. You don't get pissed about it. You, you roll with the punches. You laugh about it because getting pissed doesn't do anything. And it also shows them that they can get to you. Yeah. I will say, uh, <laughs> the, the funniest repelling story that I do have my friend, August O'Neill, Brian and I work with Augie. Uh, you know, we're all, we're, you know, Augie. So we're out rappelling and uh, we're going off the sixties <laughs> and Augie goes to step onto the wheel of the sixties to, to set his foot, but the wheel wasn't locked. So he, st- he stepped onto the wheel of the 60 and his foot just disappeared and he just slammed into the wheel with his head and then back over onto his back. So now he's zipping away from the helicopter repelling and he's looking at me directly and he's already mad at himself. So he's looking at me as he's falling away, just like he's thinking about those things you're saying in your head. Trying. He's going to have to hear whenever he gets down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it was all in slow motion too. Cause I mean, he sat, I mean, Augie was a pro man, set up like a pro, stand out of put his foot on the wheel and he was just gone in a heartbeat and he was out of there. Um, but I, right. going back to your question though, I guess the, the, the event that like stuck in my head about stuff wasn't necessarily like combat control school. It was scuba school and the one man, two man comp. Okay. That, that was not a uh, fun story. That was the only, only event that I've ever had to uh, refire with a chance of going home was one man comp for whatever reason. I just, I completely screwed it up the first time I did it. I had trouble with that one too. Well, so that gets us to the end of your pipeline, right? So we're going to, we're going to keep it in chronological order for what the dudes are doing today. Man, you got to combat control school. You put that beret on at that graduation. What was that? What was that graduation like for you? Like that was like a dream realized, right? Yeah. It was amazing. I, it was, it it was amazing, but it was also kind of like, Oh man, we're, I'm done. But you're not done. That's the thing is you think you're done <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you're told you're told by the instructors you're done. You're you're one trained badass and you're going to go out in there and you're going to be better trained. Like no kidding. I was told this <laughs> again, kind of getting lured in. But hey, you're going to be better trained than the guys that are actually on team because they're so busy. They don't get a chance to train. And then you get to your team. Oof. And then Oof. yeah, <laughs> and then you realize that, you know, zero, zero. <laughs> and you're not qualified to do anything because you're a three low. <laughs> um, and then I did have a couple questions about pipeline before we move on, because I know I get this question every once in a while. Um, I'm sure you get it all the time, but ATC, is there anything that any, any guys should worry about as far as going to ATC or any of that kind of stuff? Is it uh, mentally more challenging and people fail out or anything like that? Uh, no, I mean, it, it is mentally challenging. Absolutely, it is. Um, we don't, there's not a large attrition rate with that, though, because most of our guys, that's why we have the whole ASVAP thing, because we understand that the people that we're getting in have a minimum aptitude to be able to make it through air traffic control school. Um, and then you add on, like everybody else goes to air traffic control school, and then they get to go home to their, or go to their dorms, go eat, go hang out, or whatever. We don't do that. We do air traffic control school, and then it's either before school or after school. We're going and we're doing two and a half hours of PT, whether it's running, cows, rucking, rope climbs, like whatever. We're, we're doing that because we want to get after it, and we still need to maintain a certain level of physicality. 
Right. And I think that's a super important thing. I think we've said it a couple times before, but once you're in student status, then you're in student status and everything that you do is focused on making sure that you make it through and out of that student status in, you know, hopefully a manner in which you're carrying a certificate or a beret in your hand <laughs> the sh- and not yeah, the shortest, the shortest successful manner. Because <laughs> yeah, you successful can, manner, you, not the you can make it short as heck. You can, yeah. you can, you can shorten that bad boy right up. You can make it one day long of student status, but you know, the, the goal is to stay in student status and then focus on that the entire time because it, it gets really difficult. And that's the grind that everyone refers to is just like, man, I do not want to go and get yelled at and get treated like a student today. Um, you know, I recently had to relive that through PA school and it sucked just being in student status, you know, like, Oh, I'm a student. I got to take the trash. I got to do this. I got to do that. But it is what it is. And, um, you know, you got to live it no matter what age you are. All right. So you go from, sorry, I kind of messed up the order that we were going in here, but let's talk about now we're out of the pipeline or out of, um, CCS, you graduated, all that kind of stuff. And then you go and you went into SATS. Um, so tell me a little bit about what that was like and what you do there. So I was the first class. I was in the first class of guys to go through advanced skills training or what is known now as special tactics training squadron. Um, so it was kind of thrown together and the guys did the absolute best they could. The, the carpenters of the world, the, the Mike West, the um, Greg Herricks and those guys, they, they did the absolute best they could. They were just kind of thrown something, and they they took care of it. Um, so some we miss out on a lot of training, but it was the start of something great. I mean, STTS is an absolute monster now, and they are training dudes to a, a level that is phenomenal. So that when we get them on the teams, they are they're not necessarily ready to go, but I mean they are they are almost there. Okay. And did they, just for everyone's clarification, uh, I know for pararesc- for PJs in the pipeline, we didn't get our beret until after we were done with our apprentice course. Did they change it? Because they used to do it after they were done, uh, before they went to dive school for combat controllers. So did they change that? So everyone's kind of aligned in the same pipeline or do you guys, have you guys heard that? I actually don't know how they're doing it now in terms of when they're actually giving them their beret. It'll be out of CCS because they front their, they realign dive school. So they'll, they'll put everybody through the, the standard pipeline and then they'll hit dive school or they'll go to CCS. They'll get their beret at dive school and then they'll go to STTS per normal, but they just won't okay. have to go. Pre-dive just got moved essentially further in the pipeline. It got moved up to that pre-dive. Nice. Okay. I, I just remember being at dive school and I was like, these guys are like combat controllers already. They have all their berets. It's so awesome. Like, these are real combat controllers, and but and you're like, actually like further along in the pipeline than they are. Like yeah, they're, yeah, they, don't, exactly. they don't have as many schools as you do. You're like, wait a second. I only have like, this is like my last thing that I needed before PJU. And what are you doing? What What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. So I just want to throw that out there. All right. So once you're done with that stuff, um, you're done with STTS. How long was that school for you? Whenever you went peach? Uh, I think it was 11 months. STTS 11 was. months. And are you a five level at that point or how do you show up to the unit? Yeah. So that's the goal is the goal is upon graduation from STTS, you are a five level, which, you know, as we're going through the three level is te- typically what you are upon graduating your technical school. 
And then once you get on the job training, then you become a five level and seven level and so on. The whole point of STTS is to get all those line items that you need to get from a three level to a five level. That is the whole point of that and the time that is associated with that. So most of the guys are leaving STTS as a five level. They may be missing a couple items, but it's generally not very much. And the whole point of that is to ease the burden on the operational unit so that the operational teams and the units don't need to spend as much time training and upgrading these new guys. They can just kind of plug and play, put them on a team, kind of vet them a little bit, see what they're all about, make sure that they're competent, and then we can move out. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, that's a, that's a perfect stopping point because, um, as you guys know, we asked before we came on and recorded this podcast, we're like, hey, hit us with these questions. Well, people had a lot of questions about, hey, what happens at your first unit, right? There were some pipeline questions, and we'll hit those at the end. But a lot of the questions were actually like, hey, when you get to your first unit, um, you know, what are what are the differences between these jobs? What do you guys actually do? So we're gonna we're gonna pause there, right? So we, in our little fictitious walkthrough of a combat controller's lifespan, we're gonna pause. We got to the unit, and I'll hit you with this one, Peach. What's the main difference between TACPs and CCTs? So we got these two fully qualified dudes. They just got through exactly the same parts of the pipeline. A TACP and a combat controller shows up at my door. What's the difference between those two dudes? So taking it from kind of top to bottom, you've, you've got big picture wise, you every TACP that's going to come out of their pipeline is going to go to a conventional army unit. Um, now that could be, a normal infantry unit, that could be a light armor unit, that could be an armor unit, it can be an airborne unit or, or a mountain unit, um, but it is all conventional army. Right, and you can't come out of the pipeline and go soft tack P right away. Like you have nope. to go to a conventional army unit before you can go assess. All right. Yeah, you generally have to have at least one assignment, maybe two assignments in a conventional aspect before you can then submit a package and assess, do another assessment and selection. Um, not, not like you did at the beginning of the pipeline, if you were, you know, um, if you happen to do that and then didn't make it through, but um, just a separate one. And then that's when they decide to then put you to one of the premier TACP squadrons, which is soft, or you go to some of the STTF or not STTF special tactics squadrons, um, like where you're at, Aaron. Um, so that's for TACPs, and and they're they're bread and butter. And what they are so freaking good at is calling in close air support. Like when we had Roomba on, he was talking about because he was part of a, a tank unit, whenever he, or an armor unit. So he's talking. I mean, you're. When you're thinking tanks, you're thinking about a huge amount of space, tanks moving all over the place, and then he's utilizing air assets to weaken the battle space, meet the ground force commander's intent, all while not bombing a friendly tank. Extremely difficult. So when it comes to combat controllers, we're all soft right from the get-go. We all fall under Air Force Special Operations Command. Then... You'll either go to a global access team or a flight, and then you'll focus on airfields, surveys, demolition, shooting, driving, medical, all that kind of core soft competency skills. 
or you'll go to a precision strike, which is then where you'll start to do that kind of joint terminal attack controller mission or that close air support mission and begin that training because it's not like a, hey, you show up on a, on a Monday and by Friday you're a JTAC. There is a lot that is involved with that. Yeah, I had no idea how much went into it until I worked <laughs> up here. But it's extensive, man. Like, and there's stuff that I was just like, I find out new stuff, and I'm like, holy cow, I'm I'm still doing poorly, <laughs> still not doing a good job with it. You never really get good at it. I just I just make it. <laughs> so, so we have these guys. We have these mission sets that take so much time and so much training, like focus to get into it. The question came up again, and we're going to answer it again. I wish Trent was here, but so you're not deployed and you're at home. What is the day to day like? of a combat controller. If you're not at home, we just laid out a ton of, a ton of competencies, a ton of things that I'm sure that we have to keep up on and you have to do sim rides and you have to do live calls. And Oh, by the way, you still have to jump and dive and shoot and drive and medicine and all this other stuff. So on the day to day, what's it like being a combat controller if you're not deployed? So Monday morning, show up at zero 700, start working out for two hours. By zero nine, typically what we would do, at least when I ran my team, was Mondays and Fridays were kind of admin days, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were getting after training. So we would try and schedule two hours either on the the front end or on the back end to make sure that the guys got a chance to train. That didn't always work out because you know training events and yep. Whatever. It just sometimes you're just like out. you walk over to the gym and you yep. throw a quick workout in for lunch. Like sometimes you don't get that time. It's just you have VTCs and all kinds of stupid crap. Yep. So two hours to work out in the morning, and then you show up, and then you start. If if it's a Monday or a Friday, you are. If it's a Monday, you're making sure that everything is lined up and ready for training on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in case there's any things that need to be gathered together, like equipment-wise or last-minute coordination, stuff like that. So you're doing that. Um, maybe there's a jump that day that happened. You know, we're jumping on the airfield on base or something like that, but it's usually pretty low-key on a Monday and a Friday. Tuesday and Wednesday, that can range from jumping, driving, um, shooting, demolition, medical scenarios, close air support, um, and that's just home station. If I have a cat, so close air support is cast. So if you hear me say cast, that's what it is. Not for you guys, but for the audience. Well, for so, me too. It's, it's, it was actually specifically <laughs> for me because of the look on my face. You were like, Aaron, Aaron doesn't know what cast is. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm going to go on a cast trip out the Nellis Air Force Base, generally it's 16 to 18 hour days. Um, there, there is no working out. It's work out when you absolutely can. You know, you're showing up at, if you're an instructor like like I am, you're you're showing up or a JTAC instructor, you're showing up 5 a.m. with the pilots. Your JTAC is doesn't know what the scenario is, so you're you're working with the A10 pilots or the F16 pilots, whoever you're working with, to develop the scenario and meet certain desired learning objectives that you want to see or you want to challenge your guy with, or maybe there's things that he needs in order to. Uh, progress in his JTAC upgrade. Then, you know, you generally have a two hour ride out to the range. I'm briefing the JTAC at that point on what he, what his scenario is. We go out, we have, you know, hour and a half to two and a half hours of air support, mixed air support of A-10s, F-16s, F-15s, whatever it is. 
and then we've got our two and a half hour or two hour drive back and then we start about a four four and a half hour debrief on what happened um you know where we did good where we did bad what can we learn from this and that is all professional development for that JTAC just to get his upgrade. So I'm just using that as an example. I got one more for you if you, if you guys can hang on if I'm not boring you too much about what I do. <laughs> so um, the, other, the other thing that we do to touch on the airfields, and I know, I, I know I've done this with both of you guys, the jump clearing team, right? So this can be done – it's typically not done in combat because – if you're going to do it, you're going to do it with a large force. But this is great for things like, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina, Haiti. I'm not saying that they did those during these, but if, if there is a humanitarian mission and you need to get on the runway to land planes to bring in air, uh, air support and the runway is fouled in some way, like there's debris or something like that, so planes can't land and we don't have any rotary wing to bring us in, We'll jump. So we'll do a jump clearing team. At a minimum, it is four guys, and it's typically um, it it can be it can be all controllers. It can be you know uh, a PJ, a CCT, an SR, and then a some kind of team leader, whether it's a a stow, a crow, or whatever, or a PJ controller or SR. But the first guy is going to push out a bike bundle so what we do is we take the bike bundles or quads and we wrap them up with a bunch of cardboard and then we put parachutes on them and we throw them out so that first guy is the bike chaser he goes he launches the uh the bike out or the quad out and then he follows it and that is at the front end of the runway the next two guys are kind of interchangeable it could be the team leader or the air traffic controller guy so they jump out pretty much immediately after the first guy goes out. The last guy, though, is historically it's a PJ because we Stroke need man. some kind of medical. I'm yep. a Stroke Stroke man. man. Oh, man. Give me that big heavy ruck, baby. I love it. Yeah. How, many How many panels? 76 panels? Put them in this bag. Let's go. <laughs> Give me them lights, too. So the cool thing about being the strobe man is you're given. There's a nothing lot of- cool about being the strobe man. <laughs> Stop trying to lie to these people. You have dog. your own little dance party at the end. Like right? I've never been. Well, that's, that's, get that, out of here. That's what I'm saying. You get to, you get to spot your. If you're not a jump master, you get to spot your own way out of the plane. If you're the strobe man. So as a as a brand new PJ or brand new controller, that ain't too bad. <laughs> get out everything after it sucks <laughs> everything after you leaving that plane sucks well hey man I'm it's glad- static line it sucks anyway it's static line it's a good point well i did <laughs> want to bring this up because we did get some questions on it that i thought were good but like what with the gwat winding down with the the sort of fight that we've gotten used to over the last 20 years with that going away what is a peacetime controller mission? So you just talked about one i i mean the jump clearing team and going in for for neos for non-combatant evacuation operations or for going in support of American citizens that are abroad. I think those are some awesome, awesome mission sets there. What are you excited about moving into this next phase for combat control? So we're right now we are looking at what we can provide the battlefield short of conflict. So we, you know, soft in general, this is not just us. We are, supposed to be surgical and 
used for a multitude of different things. We are not a force that goes in in massive droves to invade or you know go into big battles. We leave that to the army. And, and can, the I pause you, can I pause you right there just because we get one question all the time. How many times do you guys participate in direct action? Listen, guys, we're not there for direct action. Just like Peaches just said, surgical strikes, multitude of different modalities. Maybe it's cyber. Maybe it's something that you don't even expect. Maybe it's a, a irregular warfare tactic that is meant to be employed only by small teams. If you guys want to be part of the premier direct action light infantry force in the world, the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Battalion of the 75th Ranger Regiment are taking people every single day because that's what those guys do. Like They are the premier raid force. There's nobody better than the Rangers on that. If you want to go do direct action... I suggest you hit one of them bat boys up. Let them know. But uh, sorry to them bat boys. Sorry to go off on a tangent there, Peaches. But as you were saying, correct. Like we're not meant to go there with a huge force. We're meant to go there, and we're to be a little bit more surgical. Yep, exactly right. And that that translates through all of our soft entities, not just Air Force Special Warfare. Well, and then how long did you spend at the unit before you went to that first deployment? That's something else that, you know, people asked is, you know, when I get there, how long can I wait until I actually get downrange and, and get to see a deployment? Well, I mean, <laughs> when I got to my team, it was, you know, uh, I guess it was about nine months. I went a year at, I went, shit, I could tell you, but I keep trump stumbling over my words. I went, no kidding, September <laughs> you, 11, you, 2002. Oh, did you really? Yeah, that was my very first deployment over to Afghanistan, and then how surreal was that? It was awesome. I, I mean, <laughs> it was, what's so funny about it is the the misconceptions you have. Like I, and I think we've talked about this, and it's so embarrassing that I actually thought about this. But when I I thought that when we landed, like we're going to be in a firefight. There's going to be sand. <laughs> the desert is all sand dunes because I had never been to a desert before. I didn't realize that the desert is not much That's different so than yeah. just every day. Yeah. And, and, then you lived, and then you lived you lived in Vegas for how long? I know. I know. And you're just looking around. And you you're loved like, it. You loved you, it. I did. I, I do like the desert. You got it, all right. So uh, I think that was a that was a four month deployment to Afghanistan during there, and I I did CSAR. Um, and there's a really good story, but I'm going to save it for our next story time about J-Mac. that deployment. We got it. Yeah, we got to get J Mac on for story time. <laughs> like I, I want to feature J Mac. He's mentioned it a couple of times. We got to get him on here. We got to get BK Actual. We got to get some of these guys on here and, yeah. and get him to tell some stories. But then, then uh, Iraq kicked off in '03, so I went. You know, September '02 went through. I don't know, three months. Came back and they said, "Hey, don't unpack." You're going back over, except you're going to Afghanistan or uh, to Iraq this time. So we went into Iraq, and we, we were kind of staging beforehand, and then we finally got the chance to go in, and then I went into Baghdad. Um, so yeah, stayed there. For, I don't know. That was another three or four month deployment, I think. So just from your experience, because I know we get this question all the time, is like, what is it like to deploy as a CCT PJSR or whatever? Um, and mostly, you know, my, my answer is like, it kind of depends on what deployment you go to because every single deployment that we, I've been on is totally different from the last. The people, the AOR that you're working in, the type of aircraft that you're coming in with, like all that stuff is different. So uh, from your experience, uh, any of the other kind of pearls of wisdom or you kind of feel the same way? No, it's, it really is all about, you know, right time, right place, right team. 
you know, like one of the one of the teams that I went, one of the ODA teams I got attached with in '04. Like when I got out there, I was replacing a controller that had gotten broken ribs and everything from an IED, and the other guy in his vehicle um, was killed in action. So that team was hurting, and I mean they were trying to recover from that. So they weren't interested in going out and and you know taking it to the enemy. We we did eventually after they they kind of healed and and recovered, and we got another guy into the team and stuff, but. Um, it, it's right place, right time. And just because one place is hot, this rotation, the, the next rotation, it could be someplace completely different. And then, you know, you have times like this where we're in a drawdown and there's not much happening at all. So um, you, you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And then for you guys who are just brand new to what CCTR in, in general, yeah, still deploy with Green Berets, Rangers, everyone else, every other force out there. Um, that's kind of uh, more of their job. They don't have a rescue squadron where they deploy as like a rescue team like PJZ or whatever. A lot of times it's onesies, twosies that attach to a bunch of different teams and then they group back together at the end and they're just kind of like, wow, this is what I, this is what happened to me. This went out to me. And they kind of tell each other stories and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. So I just want to get that out of the way. But Deployments aside, so you're kind of uh, you're moving up into the chief role um, very soon here, and I know you don't like us mentioning that, but it's really awesome that you have been able to do that. Not a lot of people in the Air Force are able to do combat control, let alone be a chief in combat control. So it's really awesome. Um, so what have you seen as far as other opportunities? going to like five to seven level i know you did the weapon school thing other specialty assignments what kind of things can uh, a young combat controller kind of plan out on their way up to uh get to where you are um well i mean not everybody may want to travel the same path i did um i'm probably the only combat controller chief that is still jtac qualified and that just happens to be because of the position i'm in um, there's, there, there's no other ones. In fact, I, I know that. Um, but maybe that's not what people want to do. I mean, a lot of people, I've been very fortunate. I, you know, in all the, the parachute accidents, the IEDs I've been in all that kind of stuff, I've been extremely fortunate not to have devastating injuries, at least physically anyway. And, um, you know, other guys do. They get they get hot, hurt. They get shot, whatever it is, and they they can't physically go on. But we keep them in the career fields. They're just not going to be able to be operational. So we put them as instructors, or we put them in positions that um, they can still be very beneficial to the force. Um, so I, that's what I would say. I, I and also just a little bit. This is probably. I think this is in line with what you're talking about, but I'd also look for opportunities to control your own destiny or try things that you may not have considered. Um, because though it may not be sexy on the surface, it it could actually end up being a really awesome career move, whether it's uh, the actual mission you get to do, the job you get to do, the people you get to work with, the people you get to meet, um, it could open up a whole lot of different doors for you, even if it's not that traditional route, because I did not, I have not followed the traditional route uh, for a combat controller. All right. 
Um, always good advice. What about um, the next 10 years? I know there's been plans for like the 2030 vision, all that kind of stuff. And we talked a little bit about um, what Pararescue is going to be doing as far as like, you know, low orbit type of stuff. And they're talking about some really kind of out there type of things. Is there anything that you've heard on the horizon as far as uh, mission sets or capabilities for combat controllers? Because I know also with the SR stuff, they're talking about the um, SUS, SUAS, and then the... Um, some of the electronic warfare type of stuff. So anything like that for you guys? It's, it's all moving to digital type stuff. So that digital type warfare, um, it's not to say that we're not going to still be kicking in doors and shooting people in the face and that kind of stuff. Cause there will probably always be a need for that. But as we start entering the, the digital space, and I don't mean that, Hey, we're going to be coders or, or hackers or anything like that. I mean, digital uh, as in you're an, you're an air force special warfare, yeah. better learn the code dog. Yeah. Better figure it out. <laughs> well, see, now we're going to get flagged for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the purpose, man. We're, we've been yeah. trying to make this move to parlor for days and this is it. <laughs> <laughs> but by digital, I mean, and, and we've already started, you guys probably already run around with ATACs on your, you know, the Android tactical assault kit, right? That's just one piece of it. We start adding in radios that are not – they're radios, but they're actually more like terminals, like computer terminals that are able to link in with the aircraft. I can see what they're seeing. I can see their icon flying around. I can put a point on a target and then hit send, and it sends an icon and all the targeting data to that plane. And now, instead of me – you know, tripping over my words like I tend to do and messing up coordinates or, or anything like that. He's got a digital, he or she's got a digital in, in their cockpit and then they can target off that. And it also shows my own position without me even having to press anything. So they know like, okay, the good guys are there. I need to make sure that all my ordinance goes here. So it'll hopefully alleviate fratricide as well. But the digital space is where we're going. Yeah. And, that, and it just speaks to the new generations as well, you know, to the Gen Z and the generations that follow after they've had that technology integrated in everything that it is that they do. It's, it's completely earth, like earth shattering when you play with the ATAC and you actually use it for the tool for like, for everything that it can, where you're getting wireless updates from your teams and you can see blue force picture and you can see attach and detach and everywhere in your area. It's ridiculous. It's well, absolutely and you guys, insane. And you guys as PJs. Okay. So we get the video downlink as well. So we can see what the aircraft seeing too, but you guys, uh, and I don't know if you're tracking or not, or maybe you already are, but you guys are getting a version of that. The PJs are where you can then link up different Bluetooth nodes to each of your patients and you can monitor their vitals. You know what the, you know what the name is? It's got a great name. Oh. Bat doc. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's no kidding what it's called. Yeah, but it's actually, it's so it's uh it's super duper cool. I'll, I'll throw a link to it in the, in the, in the uh, description or whatever, but it, no kidding. It almost has like a, a football, like a quarterback football, um, sleeve but it's digital and you can look at you can if any of your patients go outside of the parameters that you've set for them it'll blink red you go over and you can be like hey hold on what's, what's going on with patient three so i mean it's it, it's it also slick. makes it also makes handover from pj to medical provider a lot easier too because that's that wireless. medical provider also has that and it's just a poop 
real yep. quick. And you can and push now it they've forward. got everything. Yeah. And you can push it forward over the horizon too, which is pretty yep. dope. So, man, we just we hit a lot of changes right there. We just talked about how many how many things have changed between <laughs> when you and I were in. But man, you're you're all the way at the, the tippy top, and I, I love how awkward it makes you feel. But you are, man. You're you're an E nine. You know, there's less than one percent make it to E nine. I don't know uh, what percentage make it to you know combat control E nine, but I know it's less than one percent. So especially with this, like this is, this is our thing now, this thing of ours, what would you look back and what would you say? All right. I wish I knew this before I came in. Okay. So if I'm going to talk about physicality stuff and preparation, I wish I knew about rucking and I wish I worked on grip strength. Those are the two things that for me, I wish I had worked on. Um, in terms of my entire career, I would, be more present in the moment and stop worrying about stuff that happens later on. I would just enjoy where I'm at, cherish where I'm at and who I'm with uh, because you never know when that person's going to be gone. You also never know when you're going to separate from that person and not see them for another 10 or 15 years. Um, so enjoy those times, those times that are in the pipeline where you are sucking and it, and it will suck. There are times that it, it's going to suck. That's why we have it. Oh yeah. There's still goodness in those moments. There are still funny parts. There are still times where you're just, you're hurting right next to the dude in front of you or beside you. And it's awesome. It really is awesome. So don't think that you're just, you're a victim and you're just getting hit on. Like it's, it's amazing. And I, like I was just on a zoom before this with a couple of guys and they're leaving in about three months and I'm kind of envious of them because I would love to go through that again and love to have the career that I've had and do it all over again. Well, and the friends that they're about to make, like the times that they're going to have, like there's, there's no better bonds than built through that adversity like that absolutely and you hit the nail on the head it's just how bad do things suck right now this is terrible but that's where you make your best friends like those are the those end up being the funniest stories you know yep so we did put it out there beforehand we're like hey throw us a bunch of questions we baked some of those questions into the into the talk that we've already had there so we're not going to hit those i'm going to hit you i'm going to open it up just a couple rapid fire questions Brian and I are going to throw some at you here. So uh, listen up for your question if you're if you're from Instagram right now. Number one, what does it mean when combat controllers say first there? Well, generally, it means that we are the first there. I mean, it, so if we're going in on an airfield humanitarian mission, look at Haiti, look at Katrina. I mean, granted, there were PJs there with us. We all went in first, but um, with Haiti, um, Puerto Rico, uh, Panama City, whatever, or, you know, Tindall Air Force Base, first there. Because no one else can get in unless we happen to have a bunch of helicopters. Nobody else can get in uh, until we are able to clear the airfield. Nice. I like this one a lot. So why do the varsity teams, quote-unquote varsity teams, you know, all the people that are higher tiers want CCTs on their team in order to do all the things that you CCT do. Why don't they just hire their own guy or make their own specialty? So, so they do, right? They, those guys do make their own JTACs um, if, if we're only going that JTAC route. But typically, we are still 
better JTACs. Typically, I know there's some anomalies, but typically Ooh. we are. No, I know, I know, I said it. No, how I said dare it. you? How dare you put it? How dare you put a very, very calm adverb out there? How dare you? Now we have to fight with whatever meme page they have. Oh. <laughs> so we, we are just typically better JTACs than their own organic forces, and their guys love it. They they know that we're better than them. And believe me, they would rather become, you know, pick up a rifle and be on the door and let us do what we're there to do. That's typically what it is. But got it. I mean, yeah. So how much cross training do controllers get? Like as far as medical or ropes, I know it's not going to be on par with the J's, but how much cross training have you been a part of? I mean, I'm asking you this softball question because I've been there. I've been in the same tent with you and on the same jumps and, you know, a bunch <laughs> of the same training events. But how much cross training do you get? Do controllers get when they get to their units? A lot, a lot. I mean, we, we, you know, obviously PJs are going to do a lot more medical stuff than we do, but you know, on some of that advanced medical stuff, guess what? We're right next to the PJs and we, we have the PJs instructing us as well as, our flight docs and stuff like that, they're instructing us on how to do stuff. Um, ropes, like, you know, I talked about that Norway mission, you know, there were two controllers, two PJs on that, you know, you, the two PJs set up the rope system and went down the cliff. What if something went wrong? Yeah. You know, as you a guys, controller, you guys got to know how to save them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So do I, can I set up a three point? No, I can't. But I tell you what, <laughs> you can, and then you can tell me how to save you, or you have trained me at least to know how to jerry rig something and then get you guys back up. So I do know how to do that. So we do a lot of some of that cross training. All right. What about uh, personality wise? I know it's hard for you guys to tell what CC teachers are like because you, get, you only know Peach, and he's like the nicest person on the face of the planet. He's always smiling and having a good time and everything like that. Um, but a lot of other CCTs that people have met are kind of on the angrier side of things. And people they're are very grumpy. Out, yeah, I gotta be honest. They're, they're very grumpy. grumpy peaches. <laughs> so, you know, keeping that kind of thing in mind, what, is there any reason why CCTs might be so angry? And then second question is, is there a prerequisite number of tattoos that you have to have in order to become an All right, CCT? listen, I think here's what you guys are going to need. You don't need to do all this physical preparation. You're going to go out and you're going to get yourself a motorcycle, preferably all black. You're going to have a colored do-rag and you're going to have that on your jeans somewhere. Full sleeve tattoos. You're going to listen to nothing but 70s rock. You're going to have a pistol on you at all times. No one is going to know why. You're going to do things that don't make sense. Peaches, are, are there any other misconceptions? Some kind of obscenity also. So <laughs> yes, sure absolutely. Right. And you have to be dressed like a 50s greaser. That's the other one. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So the, there are misconceptions uh, that'll take this thing from being PG-13 to, you know, NC-17 or rated R. Uh, so I won't go into those. Right, yeah, fair, fair enough. We because don't want don't any want, team room fights. No nope, team room fights, to, dog. Nope, I don't want to incriminate anybody. I don't want to do anything <laughs> like that. Um, we do, historically, I guess we really like to fight, especially in bar fights. I, I'd say that's accurate, too. Uh, not necessarily me, but... Yeah, we, we get in a lot of bar fights, it seems like. I Listen, I won't incriminate myself. I won't say that I've ever been a part of any of those things. I will say, though, that's probably true. That's, that's probably <laughs> it. All right, Peach. 
Um, any other words of wisdom? Last thing. I know we always do this for everyone else, but you know, just for you, combat control wise, um, anything else that you think you know in your own heart helped you get through selection and get through all the stuff that you've been through. Um, what would you try and uh, implement and let people know that they should try and carry through? So I, I think I've said this before, but what I would, every single one of us before we came in said, hey, we, we told our family, we told our friends, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be a PJ. I'm going to go be a combat controller. And then we kind of just leave it at that. When you are in your darkest moment and you're, if you consider quitting or if you are like, man, at least self-doubting, I don't know that I can do this. Imagine having to go back to your family and your friends and tell them, Hey, when it got hard, I quit. I couldn't do it. I just, I gave up right there. And I, and I know Brian and Trent, at least, because you don't get, you don't get many quitters at, at PJU, Aaron, but uh, at least for Brian, I know you've said it before. Almost as soon as those guys come out of the pool or wherever they quit and they hit that horn and they're standing there with their paperwork saying that they self-eliminated, they regret it immediately and it's hanging over their head for a long time but am i incorrect in saying that failure no. isn't hell regret is hell yeah 100 percent. i've seen guys just you know ball their eyes out for days every time i see them after that you know i always try and talk to people about the rest of their life after they quit and everything like that because you do get a lot about yourself and you find out a lot about yourself by going through selection and just being a part of that teammate and it carries on through the rest of their career. So it is beneficial, even, you know, those people that didn't make it all the way, but you see that instant feedback of like, man, I let down my team, my, exactly like you said, my parents, all the people that I told that I was going to do this thing. I don't know how I'm going to look myself in the mirror, how I'm going to you know, go home and tell my family exactly what happened. Cause everyone's going to ask, you know, it, Mm-hmm. So, what are you going to so do? When you, yep, exactly. So, for those folks that are out there, just remember that. Remember that if you quit, you are going to have to tell everybody you quit unless you want to be one of those punks that say you got hurt just as a cop out. <laughs> oh, don't be a turd. Don't be a turd, says Peaches. What's up? <laughs> Sorry, I, that may have been a little bit too much, but whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many guys. I was a PJ once. Oh yeah, what happened? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I went out on my own terms, bro. Like, I didn't want to do it anymore. I would have been a controller, but like, I don't know, man. I just felt like they didn't really understand me. That's cool. When'd you punch out? Week two, bro. See, what happened is he got in my face, and I was gonna hit him. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <laughs> if you don't, if, this was such a good episode. If you don't close it up before it goes off the rails, right now, I'll never forgive you. You've got to, <laughs> man. Hit me with a recap. all right taking it from the top all right so yeah we took our own legend peach to uh take a little time out of his day to talk about specifically combat control and as you guys know we're always here for you guys to answer any questions um peaches answers all the questions in the inbox all same with all of us you know we want to make sure that you guys have the correct information that's out there for whatever career field you're going to. So like I said, we're going to be doing episodes like this for also SR and all the rest of the uh, stuff. So make sure you guys go check those out if you're trying to differentiate between which one you want to go into. So, you know, from the top, the chief walked us through um, kind of 
top to bottom as soon as you enter the uh, Air Force all the way up until the day that you're about to retire, kind of all the opportunities that are, that are involved, why those tier one units always want combat controllers to be a part of their teams and what the specialties are that you might look forward to if you are having a long career within um, combat control. And then other ways that you might want to go. Of course, Peach doesn't want you to take your, his route, which was non-traditional to get up to the chief level, but there are so many opportunities out there for um, not only CCT, but all the rest of the guys that are in the SW career fields to continue to further their skills and make sure that they are, you know, top tip of the spirit kind of guys. So make sure you guys uh, like, subscribe. And if you guys have any questions about these episodes, you can always hit us up on the Instagram and then also um, at info at onesready.com. We're always answering your emails there. Um, and then you know, go out there and earn each breath. And if you like the episode and you like the podcast, make sure you go and uh, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review and leave a comment. We really appreciate it. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Earn each breath, light up. Light up. Train hard, light.